<clears throat> introduces to us one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. <clears throat> We're not really going to look at him tonight, but I want to look at this uh, vow. Title of the message, Nazarite Consecrated to the Lord. So Judges 13, verses 1 through 5. And the children of Israel did again, evil again in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them in the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Now it's interesting. The Philistines are basically a small people. They're kind of what's left of the nation. Some of what's left of the nations that were driven out when Israel possessed the land. Uh, Samuel tells us there's five lords, basically five cities. Um, but again, Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. Something about it. And there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. The angel Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, Drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive, and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege of ours to assemble together tonight. We do thank you for this body. I pray that you would continue to bless and meet the needs here and give us wisdom and guidance. Help us just to be faithful to you and your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to continue to be a lighthouse, a beacon in this area for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I do pray for um, uh, your help and service tonight. Just glorify and honor, your honor yourself. Speak to our hearts and encourage us and challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. A Nazarite, consecrated to the Lord. That's really what a Nazarite is. So I want to look at, basically, some things about, you know, what is a Nazarite. So that's my first point. What was a Nazarite? Well, what are numbers, to find out, you really have to go to Numbers chapter 6. That's the first time you hear about it. Um, and really, the origin is kind of, we don't really know. Uh, you know, people have been making vows to the Lord ever since, well, we have recorded history. Um, Job talks about vows in the book of Job. Job's the oldest book of the Bible. Um, and, and people still make vows. There's nothing wrong with making a vow. It's just when you make a vow, you better plan to do what you say. Um, <clears throat> better to not vow than to vow and not pay. Ecclesiastes tells us that. But anyway, a Nazarite, number 6, verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments of the Lord your God commanded to teach you. I'm sorry, I'm in Deuteronomy. Let me get the numbers. I thought that didn't look right. Numbers chapter 6. Number 6, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either a man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord, 
He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husks. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled in which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, and he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister, when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of a separation, he is holy unto the Lord. So, an, an Azurite vow was something, a vow that a man or a woman could make for a period of time or life. Um, but there was something that they were to be wholly consecrated to the Lord all the days of the vow. And, and there's the things that go along with it. Again, the origin is uncertain. Uh, Nazarites that we know of, there probably were others in the in uh, in Bible times. You know, of course, Samson, he was a, he's a Nazarite for life. Samuel, First Samuel eleven tells us that there no razor come upon his head, and possibly John the Baptist. You know, it doesn't say anything about his hair, but it does say about he would not he would drink wine or uh, you know or any of that that nature. Uh, again, Samuel and Samson were the two that we know for sure that were for life. First uh, Samuel one eleven says, "No razor will come upon his head all the days of his life." That was Samuel, and of course we know that here also from Samson. Now there is a misconception by some, probably not any of you, that Jesus was a Nazarite, but he was not. What did he do that would contradict that? Huh? He, he, he took wine. He drank grape juice, the fruit of the vine. Uh, he actually turned water into wine at a wedding. So he was not a Nazarite. You know, many confuse that he was a Nazarene. In other words, he was from Nazareth, but he was not a Nazarite. You know, a lot of people want to make that, this, this out, him out to be one. As to excuse long hair, but that's not true either. Anyway, so that's what a Nazarite, that's, that was a Nazarite vow. Now, here's what, the, again, the vow consisted of was three things, basically, uh, from, Deut- or from Numbers chapter 6. They were not to, to, not to eat or drink anything of the grape. Verses 3 and 4 again. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree from the kernels even of the husks. So, so he wasn't to, to eat or drink, whether it, was, whether it was strong or not strong, whether it was uh, uh, raisins or, or just fresh grapes or even the husks from the, that. Uh, he wasn't supposed to eat any of it or drink any of it. Um. Second thing was, he was not to cut his hair. Verse 5. All the days of the vow of separation, there was no razor come upon his head. Till the days be fulfilled in which he separated himself from the Lord, he shall be holy and, and let 
and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. And, of course, we saw that from Judges chapter 13. That's what the, the angel of the Lord, I believe it was a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ, said, No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver us out of the hand of the Philistines. And the same says the same thing about Samuel in 1 Samuel 11. So they were not to cut the hair during their vow. Now, if somebody took a vow for a period of time, you read on in Numbers here, that after the vow ended, they were to cut their hair, and they were to burn it when they were offering a, I think it was a peace offering or something, they would burn it. In, uh, during the offering time. So anyway, they were not to cut his hair, and they were not to come near a dead person. Verses 6 and 7. All the days that he separated himself from the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. <coughs> so, so they're not to come near a dead person. Now, my opinion is this had to do with funerals. Notice he says, he explains, not for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die. And the reason I say that is Samson killed people. And so did Samuel. Remember, Samuel hewed Agag pieces at Gilgal. So he got near some dead people. But, and I think this has to do with funeral. We'll see a little bit more about this a little bit later, an example of this. But anyway, so that was the three things. So what was, the question is, what was the purpose of these things? Well, the purpose is to demonstrate his consecration or her consecration to the Lord. That the Lord is to be preeminent over everything. Now, let's look at these three things a little bit and, 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 and define that. Okay, nothing of the grape. What is significant about the grape or wine? Wine or fruit of the vine is a biblical symbol of mere natural joy. It's, a, it's the most commonly sought drink in Bible times. The wedding at Cana, what were they serving? Wine, unfermented wine. Um, by the way, good water was not so easily obtained. So, so they would they had they had wine. They used wine in its place. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 15. Psalm 104 and verse 15 <clears throat> about wine. The Bible says this: "And wine that maketh glad the heart of man." Wine that maketh glad the heart of man. So wine was a symbol of natural joy to a man. And they were to consecrate themselves up and give this up. It was a sign of their consecration or dedication to the Lord. So, so nothing of the grape. Secondly, not to cut the hair. What's the significance? Why would anybody want to let their hair grow? Well... Long hair is a reproach to a man. It's a reproach to a man. So again, it was at once. So when you saw a Nazarite, immediately you knew what he was. Either he was a rebel like Samson, or like um, Absalom, 
Or he was a Nazarite. He was a Nazarite. And it was a sign of his willingness to be a reproach for the Lord's sake. You know, 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, It's a shame for a man to have long hair. That word shame there actually means bile. You know, some people, I heard people say, Well, you know, God just says it's a shame. It's no big deal. No, it's vile. It's detestable to God. But they were willing to be, it's a sign that they were willing to be a reproach for the Lord's sake. Um, you know, I, I can't quite understand that, but, but that's, that's what the Lord said, so we've got to accept that. Um, thirdly, not come near a dead person. Again, I, I believe this had to do with burial, particularly burial of relatives, because Samson killed people and Samuel hewed Agag to pieces. And for an example of this, go to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. <clears throat> now, I don't believe these were Nazarites, but the, the things were similar. There were some similar things concerning the priesthood that was similar with the Nazarites. And, and again, I, I didn't really... Uh, I'm not sure the cause of this particularly here is for the honor of the Lord. It's because because of because of how what happened here and the why it happened. I believe that that God told Moses to tell Aaron this. But but Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1 it says, and Nadab and Abihu the sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. Before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uzziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eliezer, and unto Ithamar, his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest you die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, So, so here you have a situation where Aaron's two sons are killed because they've They've defiled the offering of the Lord. They brought strange fire, and God strikes them dead. And 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 God tell or Aaron tells Moses, "Don't you go near him, and don't uncover your head. Don't mourn for him." He he says, "Get your uncle's sons to come in and drag him out." Now understand something: these two guys had some very special privileges. In Exodus chapter 24, it says that they went up on the mount with Moses and Aaron, and they saw the God of Israel. Eliezer and Ithamar did not, but Nadab and Abihu did. You see, they had some very special privileges. They were chosen to the priesthood as well. And, and here they are, defiling it and offering strange fire. You know, the point of this is, and the the Nazarite vow, not coming near a dead person is, is there is to be no 
earthly human love above the Lord. In Matthew 12, verse 46, remember Jesus said, there, they came to Jesus and said, uh, uh, you know, your, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he said, he turned around and looked about those about him and who is my sister, my brother, and my mother? Those who do the will of my father. They are my sister, brother, and mother. You see, there's, there were, this, 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 this vow that they were not to come near a dead person demonstrated that there was no earthly love above the Lord. Above the Lord. So, that, that's what is meant by these vows. Well, think about those principles applied to us today. The principles applied to us, you know, I don't believe there's Nazarites today. I don't think God wants us to have long hair, except you ladies. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. I don't believe Jesus had long hair. But as we think about it, the principles applied to us today, number one, we must not and will not find real joy in the things of this world. It's not there. You can't find real joy. Our joy is in the Lord. It's in the Lord. Uh, <clears throat> Psalm 16. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. It says, I have set the Lord before always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. Why? Because my, the Lord is before me. My heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 87, verse 7. The end of that verse says, All my springs are in thee. Now what's a spring? What's significant about a spring? It speaks of joy. And refreshment. And he says, all my springs, not just some of them, but all my springs are in thee. Uh, Psalm 97, verse 12. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Uh, Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 18. Habakkuk, chapter 3. That's in the white pages of your Bible. Habakkuk, chapter 3. <clears throat> Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And you come over to the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you lacked. We're also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And then first Peter one eight. We sang that song this morning. I have found his grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. When I sit and learn at Jesus' feet, I am free, as free indeed. 
and I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's where it come from. 1 Peter 1, verse 8. Paul, Peter talks about that joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so we must not and we will not find real joy in this world. It's not there. The joy of this world is only temporary. It's only temporary. It all de- is dependent upon happenings. You know, they come and they go. But God's joy is eternal. It's lasting. So, you must not and will not find joy, real joy in the world. Secondly, we should be willing to bear his reproach. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. We must be we should be willing to bear his reproach. Hebrews thirteen verse ten. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp. Bearing his reproach, for we have here, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now, the Christian life, I believe, you know, sometimes it's difficult, but the Christian life really is the greatest life there is. It's the life of the highest quality that there is. But it is a reproach to the world. It's a reproach to the world. Let me ask you this. Was Noah a reproach to his generation? But who perished? See, we are a reproach to the world because of our witness by word and life condemns the world or contradicts it. Hebrews 11.7 says that Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. And became heir of the righteousness was by faith. See, he was a reproach to the world in his day just because he built an ark and he told them a flood's coming. Judgment's coming. You need to prepare to meet the Lord. You see, it condemned their wicked lifestyles. It condemned their going on without no regard for God. It contradicted everything that they did. He was a reproach. He was mocked. We know that from First Peter or Second Peter, chapter three. He was mocked, ridiculed, and we will be mocked and ridiculed by the world because our lifestyle, if we're living for the Lord, our lifestyle and our witness will condemn the world. So. Yes, we should be willing to bear that reproach. It is a reproach to the world. 
something we need to bear, should be willing to bear. And then thirdly, we should love the Lord more than any other human relation, including ourselves. Look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. You know, and this is really what the Nazarite vow teaches us. Luke chapter 14. Verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, you know, he should really, what he really should have done here was given a great motivational message, and he had a lot of followers, right? But this is what he says. Can you imagine a great multitude following you? You turn around and say, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Can you imagine, can you imagine Joel Stein saying something like that? And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That isn't a very good motivational message. Yeah, that's not really the greatest way to gain a great following. And so, you know, he, there's this great multitude following, and I'm sure that many of them turned around and said, What? Are you kidding me? You know, in John chapter 6, I'll go there, John chapter 6. This is kind of the essence of this here, too. John chapter 6, verse 50. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. He's talking about the bread in the wilderness. He said, I am that bread. I am the living bread which come down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should be betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. If you're going to follow Christ, you have to deny yourself. That's what he did. He denied himself. What did he say to the rich young ruler? 
sell all thou hast, give it to the poor, and then come follow me, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. You see, we should love the Lord more than any other human relation, including ourselves. And again, the Lord Jesus Christ is the perfect example of all these things. In John 4, at at Samaria, he said this, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. What he's really saying is, my joy and satisfaction is to do the will of him that sent me. Eat or not, really doesn't matter. You know, the disciples were worried about what he was going to eat. In Galatians chapter 3, he became a curse for us. Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. And he became a curse, a reproach for us. And he took it upon himself willingly. Willingly. And of course then in Matthew 12, he said, verses 46 through 50, He that doeth the will of my father, the same is my brother, sister, and mother. So, you know, a Nazarite. A Nazarite was one that bowed to consecrate himself to the Lord. Now, we're not Nazarites. I'm glad. I don't want to have long hair. We're not Nazarites. God's not asking us to be Nazarites, but he does want us to consecrate ourselves to the Lord. Now, it sounds like it's a reproach, and it is. But again, the Christian life is the greatest and the most rewarding life that there is. Jesus said this in John 10.10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and then they might have it more abundantly. You may give up some things in this world. But remember, this world's only temporary. We're going to live somewhere for eternity. What will you have if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Might God help us to consecrate ourselves to the Lord? To be willing to bear his reproach, to make him preeminent in all things, to find our joy and fulfillment in him and not seek the satisfaction of the things of this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge that this Old Testament example of the Nazarite vow gives to us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your people in this day and time which we're living to serve our generation acceptably with godly fear. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to consecrate ourselves to you anew and afresh to serve you all of our days. We might hear those words, well done, thou good faithful servant. We pray in Jesus' name.